0: Please remain standing as you're able for the reading of God's word. The text for this morning is from Proverbs chapter 27 verses 5 through 10 and verse 17. The text will be on the screen as I read. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. One who is full loathes honey from the comb, but to the hungry... Even what is bitter tastes sweet. Like a bird that flees its nest is anyone who flees from home. Perfume and incense bring joy to the heart and the pleasantness of a friend springs from their heartfelt advice. Do not forsake your friend or a friend of your family and do not go to your relative's house when disaster strikes you. Better a neighbor nearby than a relative far away. As iron sharpens iron, So one person sharpens another. This is God's word.
1: We are going through a sermon series called Blessed, Delighting in the Good Life. And blessed is one of those uh, terms in scripture that means this is a happy person. A person who's blessed is a happy person, a joyous person. And part of the reason why that person is so happy and so joyous is because they have learned uh, to receive blessing from God in a way that is what he means for human beings to experience and experience the, the, the world and the relationship with him in a way that is meant to be. And we are contrasting uh, that vision of Scripture through different themes with what our world often presents to us as the good life that actually ends up making us anxious and exhausted and divisive. And I want to see, have you see that contrast so that you can see ways of maybe responding in your life to turn back to some of the ways that the Scriptures calls us to live the good life. The last couple sermons have really set up the whole series, and they were very much in Uh, focus in terms of like a vertical focus, that it was focusing on our restlessness and how we can find our rest in God, and also this sense of being detached and longing to belong and how ultimate Ultimately, we find our sense of belonging and our purpose in belonging to God. And in the next three sermons, we are gonna look at more of that sense of belonging, but in a more horizontal sense, that we're looking at it more relationally with different people around us and different types of relationships. So today, we're gonna to look at friendship. Next week, sex and romance. And the week after that, uh, parenting and, and the relationships that you find in the household. And so all of those will continue to apply that of blessed are those who belong, not only belong to God, but belong to others who are journeying home to our home of rest, where we ultimately belong. So let's go ahead and pray, and we'll dive into this subject today. Let's pray. Lord, this gathering is here because of your lordship, the lordship of Jesus Christ, who died and raised from the dead and poured out his spirit on his church and his spirit is still very much at work in these neighborhoods, on these campuses throughout our city and throughout our world and churches throughout our city and throughout the globe that have gatherings of people like this is evidence, Lord, that you are still at work in this world. You're calling people to faith, you're strengthening faith, you're giving grace and forgiveness, and you're calling people detached from community and belonging back to that sense that they are a part of something that's bigger than themselves and that which they were made for. And we pray that we see that now in the scriptures. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. There's a lot of different talks that I've given on friendship over the years, and I'm going to be stringing together a lot of different themes from probably three, four different sermons that I've given on this, but one of the ways I've always introduced uh, this theme is the fact that there's a famine of friendship that's occurring in our society nowadays. We're familiar with the word famine when it comes to food, and a famine is that sense that there's scarcity of resources that's essential to being a human being, but the famine uh, that I'm going to talk about today is not so much a famine of food, uh, but a famine of friendship. And anytime that, and you look at church history, and you look at even some of the ministries and nonprofits in our city, when when Christians sees there's something, when Christians see that there's something like a food insecurity that's happening, what we do is we spring to action because we want people to have their essential needs met because they're human beings made in the image of God, and we want human beings to flourish. And so if we see people that lack the resources to have food on the table, Christians want to spring to action because it's an act of justice and love of our Christian faith to to provide for that need. And there's another famine that's sometimes overlooked that's happening right now, and that is a famine of friendship. There's so many different writings that are highlighting this reality, but I'm stringing together a bunch of different resources to maybe give you this word picture of what this... uh, a famine of friendship and isolation looks like. Let's say you're at the grocery store, like a random grocery store, Target, Kowalski's, whatever, Lunds, and there's just random ten people there, including yourself. And these people are complete strangers; you don't know them. It's just a nice cross section of people from our city and in our area. There's just ten people there. According to a lot of studies, at least one person in that grocery store of ten people in the section of produce or whatever, at least one of those folks in that group of 10 would likely say they don't have a single friend, not one. Not one person they can call, not one person they hang out with, not one person that they consider a friend in any meaningful sense. In addition, six out of those 10 people in that space would likely say to to you, if they were polled, that they feel isolated and lonely. So they might say that they have friends, but they're not deep enough to not to push back on this sense of being isolated and lonely. So only four out of those ten people in that space that you would find yourselves in would say, I feel like I have friends and that I'm connected and not lonely. It means the majority of people in that kind of thought experiment, according to these studies, would feel isolated or without a friend. And that's why uh, one New York Times piece calls this the epidemic of loneliness in our culture. And this friendship famine doesn't just make life boring, it's more profound and deep than that. Being isolated and without meaningful friendships has a major impact on public health. Consequences in areas of including depression, disease, and poverty are all connected to a lack of connectedness and deep and meaningful friendship. And it's clear that we are not made for this isolation. We look at the scriptures, Genesis 2.18, in the beginning, in creation, the Lord said, it's not good for the man to be alone, I will make a helper suitable for him. Many people understandably uh, connect this specifically to marriage, but in a more general sense, there's more going on in what God is doing here that human beings, men and women, are not made to be alone. They are made for community. It's not good for human beings to be isolated and without uh, belonging to friends or colleagues or neighbors or a church. We are made for community. We are made for relationships, which means, according to the Scriptures, you will not be happy without friends. You will not have a blessed life without meaningful friendships. You will not enjoy the good life unless you are connected with other human beings in friendship. Now, this sermon is going to go on and start to unpack a bunch of different things related to this theme of friendship. One, we're going to look at the causes of the friendship famine. Two, we're going to get a vision of friendship from the book of Proverbs. And lastly, I want to make a case for why a church pursuing deep and meaningful friendship is a gospel issue and not a secondary issue. Uh, As I mentioned, there's a bunch of resources that I'm, I'm drawing from that I've drawn from from different sermons I've given on this topic. One new one that I'm going to make you aware of if you want to go deeper into a topic like this is a book called Made for Friendship by Drew Hunter. I'd highly recommend this Book And I believe uh, the women's ministry next month is going to read this book and discuss it. So if you want to look for a reason to uh, uh, get this book and to read it, that would be a a good way to do it. To connect with other people, maybe potential friendships, while you're reading a book on friendship. This seems to be a book that you shouldn't read by yourself, right? Maybe you should read this with other people and just see what happens. So let's start with uh, the causes of this friendship famine. One cause that we talked about in the last couple sermons that is probably part of the reason why we feel so isolated and apart from friendship is this this expressive individualism that dominates our culture and our secular way of life. Our highly individualistic society or secular religion, as I've called it in the past, values freedom over commitment. We don't know who we are, and so we're on this individualistic pursuit to define ourselves, but we we don't want that definition to come from somebody else. We don't want to be influenced by anyone else. We want to keep our options open. And we want to be able to express myself on my own terms and by the way, while I do this nice and individualistic pursuit, would you subscribe to my channel and like my posts, right? And that's part of this weird thing about our individualism and our culture is that we, we are so like, this is my, my definition, this is my pursuit, but could you please come along for the ride while I find myself? We can't get away from having to have other people to express our individuality too. And this expressive individualism results in forming shallow connections with people. We can be friends in our culture as long as you don't challenge me or ask me too many questions about the identity that I'm trying to express. If these relationships can serve as a means to benefit me, maybe it will provide greater uh, affluence or a sense of security, then maybe this is a relationship worth keeping. But in this framework, this makes friendship disposable. As soon as friendships become inconvenient or challenges your identity, uh, they might if they start doing that, then they're asking too much and might get in the way of you achieving your personal individualistic goals. But one of the things I want to highlight is, I don't think just the way that we think individualistically is the only thing that's contributing to this friendship famine and this sense of isolation. Let me give you some more factors that are driving this. A couple more is our mobility as a society and technology. Mobility, we are a culture that doesn't stay put. There might be generations before where you grew up in the same town, went to the same school, maybe you went off to college, but then you'd come back. And there's this deep sense of not only family rootedness there, but also deep friendships that might go back generations in terms of family connectedness. Nowadays, we move from city to city and job to job, uh, perhaps driven by uh, this pursuit of career, because if you want to climb that ladder, you got to sacrifice, you got to move, you got to go somewhere to be able to, to gain that affluence. And so our own institutions cultivate this mobility, which results in us being more disconnected from our neighborhoods and maybe even our jobs or a church. Technology is also a driving factor, especially social media, which capitalizes on this sense of loneliness in our society. It promises connectedness to a community and and tries to cause that, but what it ends up doing is just silos people off from one another. You mainly connect with those who are exactly like you in terms of how you define your individualistic expression, and everybody else is in competition or a threat to you. And so then social media fosters not only that disconnectedness, but even the animosity that happens between different groups of people. It cultivates that us-versus-them viewpoint that that, uh, deconstructs human community. Another problem, the final problem I want to highlight uh, and, and these causes to the friendship famine is the issue of time, the demands on your time, the things that you commit to. You, I know, and I, we're busy people. We got a lot going on. We have expectations to meet. We have our potential to reach. And so we have expectations from school and from work and from others. And those expectations in pursuit of our potential dominate our weekly routines and leave little room for anything else. These expectations are ones we gladly take on because we believe maybe we'll make more money, we'll find a better job, and if we get involved in the right activities, it will help us or our kids reach our potential and therefore bring affluence and security that I'm so desperately searching for. And it seems that the older we get, the more that this drain on time and this increase of busyness is happening and becoming a problem. It seems to be one of the reasons why friendship seems so easy in childhood and maybe a little easier in college because you are just living together and you have meals together and like somebody else cooks you food and you just have some of these responsibilities that are not much of a pressure on your time and so you can invest in a way that's unhurried with your college classmates or with your uh, childhood friends in your neighborhood. I wonder if this is actually what's behind a a very funny comedy sketch, if you've never seen it, by a comedian named uh, Nathan Bargatsky. And he is just, like, reflecting on how, you know, he's reaching middle age, and he wishes that he was young again. He wishes that he was back in his 20s. And the way he highlights this is hilarious, because in your 20s, he says, you're down for whatever, right? Your friends call you up, and they're like, you want to go? And your response is, I'll go like I'll go like I don't even know where we're going but I'll go like you have no you have no plan you'll like you're like I'll move all right if you want me to move I'll set things on fire like what do you want to do I'm down right that's what it's like in your 20s right you're ready to go but then you reach your 30s and you have some questions if a friend is asking you out to an activity where are we going is the place open late is it loud, right? This is something I relate to. Or you're like, you know, is it okay if I drive separate, right? Because somebody else stays there too long, you want to be able to get back. And then in your 40s, you're just like, I'm not going, right? (laughs) I'm staying. I'm I'm mad that you even asked me to go, right? That's kind of how you feel when you get into your 40s. So that's his sketch, it's hilarious, and it's true, I relate to it. And there's probably a lot of factors of why we relate to it, but one of the things is it seems that like as the decades pass, sometimes it feels like when you go from your 20s to your 40s, it just gets more intense, there's more responsibilities, there's more demands on your time, and there's just less to give. So like at first, you're just like, oh, I got some time, let's, 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 I don't even care, let's go. Let's, I don't know how many hours this is going to last, it's cool but now you're like, I'm tired, I'm exhausted, I need to drive back home within 30 minutes. That's all I can give you, right? All of these causes to the friendship famine are soul-sucking. Everyone that I have uh, highlighted. So much so that many people are struggling to find that friendship and support that we as human beings desperately need. That's why the fellowship and friendship that can be found in a church is an oasis for those that are looking for it. It's an oasis in the midst of a friendship famine. And that's why I wanna to turn to, especially the book of Proverbs, and reflect on the many different Proverbs that give us a view of why friendship is such a good thing. Proverbs eighteen twenty four says, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. If you have a lot of shallow relationships, this proverb is saying, but lack one close friend who's like a brother or a sister, what is the outcome? What's the word that the proverb used there if you don't have one close friend? Ruin you are made for friendship. If you don't have one close friend, but you just have all these loose connections, then you are not living the good life. You are not living the life that God has, has made you to live. This proverb has even drawn distinctions between having many relationships and one deep one. There's a difference between your core friends and casual friends that, that you need as a human being and just having acquaintances or a network. There's a difference between those types of relationships. You can be a very connected person through classes, through work, through neighborhood involvement, or your kid's school, and still lack one friend. This so it reminded me of another uh, kind of cultural commentary on this from Saturday Night Live. They developed this a while back. And it was specific to uh, men. Uh, men and women both struggle with uh, disconnected Uh, disconnectedness from friendship, but it's a little more pronounced for male relationships, especially uh, after they get married and they increase that responsibility going into middle age. And so SNL uh, knows this about our culture and was mocking it in this SNL skit, maybe you've seen it before, where somebody's significant uh, uh, other comes home, she comes home from work, she's exhausted, he's been working all day at home, you know, got the remote job, sweet gig. But he he doesn't have any friends, so he's just like, all right, can we do this, can we do that? And then she's exhausted. She's like, I just want to to hang out. I don't want to talk to anybody anymore. I talk to people all day at work. You were just, you know, you were doing uh, uh, Zoom meetings, all right, not a big deal. But he's just like, he wants wants that person to pour into him because that's all he has, is just his significant other. And she gets the idea, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna take you to, not the dog park, but the man park. And in this scenario, the man park is like a dog park, but not for dogs, but for men who don't have any type of friendship. So it's a place for them to go there and to maybe, you know, hang out and talk about things. And the whole skit plays on where, like, there's these groups, this group of, like, wives and girlfriends that are kind of on the side of the park and just looking at it, like, starting really awkward, but then they start playing catch with one another and talking about like Marvel movies and all of a sudden they're connecting and they're just look, they're saying back and like, oh look, they're getting along. Isn't that so nice, right? That's the SNL skit. And again, it's getting at this idea that we, we might have a lot of relationships, but many people lack friends, that deep connected relationship that you're not even connected to this person through a family tree, but you can call that person a brother or a sister. Let's look at Proverbs twenty-seven, nine through ten. Perfume and incense bring joy to the heart, and the pleasantness of a friend springs from their heartfelt advice. Do not forsake your friend or a family, uh, or a friend of your family, and do not go to your relatives' house when disaster strikes you. Better a neighbor nearby than a relative far away. All right, what's going on in this proverb? This is another call to make deep friendships. The proverb is mentioning a luxury good, in this case, like perfumes. If, you know, essential oils doesn't do it for you in terms of like a luxury good, think like, I don't know, a T-bone steak, whatever it is. Something that brings you joy in life and and that that people would desire. And it's relating that to how delightful that thing is, in this case, perfume, and saying, you know what else is delightful? A friend who is interested in you. A person who knows you, gives you advice out of love, and cares for you. That is delightful. The proverb goes on to say, Don't forsake such friendships or family who know you that well and that intimately. Invest in those friendships, especially in your life right now, right in front of you. That's what verse 10 is getting at. It's an interesting verse. Do not forsake your friend or your friend of your family, and do not go to your relative's house when disaster strikes you, Better a neighbor nearby than a relative far away. Custom would be in the ancient world that if something bad happens, like the family mobilizes. But here it's saying, what if you don't have family nearby? What if you're far away from your family? Then what do you do? The proverb advises that in general, it's good to care for people that are close to you, that are in proximity to you, that are right in front of you, The the people that are occupying your spaces and your life, those are the relationships to look to, especially for friendship. Which means if you're struggling to find friends, maybe the place to start are the people that are in your life right now that you haven't went deep with yet. Paying attention to new friendships is a way and the first step in making friendship. This applies both to the person who is new to town and building a new group of friends, and it also applies to anybody here that already has friendship to look for opportunities to add somebody else in your friendship group. Now, there's a pastor, Larry Osborne, that illustrated uh, this reality this way. He says, like, we're all like Lego pieces. And like Lego pieces, we all have different relational capacities, just like Lego pieces have different, like, amounts of how many Legos you can put on the top of it. And there's that reality here, so I'm not saying to burn yourself out with relationships if your relational capacity is smaller than other people, but nonetheless, are the spots filled, and is there always maybe a spot that's open just in case the opportunity of a new classmate, a new neighbor, somebody new to your church needs to be invited in to belong? It's one thing to know and to look for friendships. It's another thing to take steps of action to actually pursue of friendship, to grab coffee with somebody, to make time in your schedule, and to open up your life and your heart to somebody new. And it's a vulnerable, scary thing sometimes, because making new friendships and relationships takes courage and embracing that sometimes awkward process of fellowship and friendship. It takes work, it takes energy, and a lot of mental effort to accomplish it. There are no shortcuts to friendship, but nonetheless, the Bible calls us to pursue it, especially for the folks that we're in proximity to right now. Proverbs 17:17 17, 17 says this: A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. This verse might be saying a couple different things, or there's a couple of different understandings of this verse. It may be saying that a sibling may be there uh, during times of adversity because you're related, they have to be there, they're they're blood relatives. They're there because of obligation, but not love, they're family. Yet a friend chooses to be there because of love. A friend is committed to you in thick and thin, not because of a blood blood relationship, but because of love. They chose to have this relationship. That's one understanding. The other understanding, and I think maybe the more likely one is this, is that both uh, you know, phrases in that proverb are getting at the same point rather than contrasting with one another. In other words, it's saying that you need core relationships like friends and like family to show up during the good times and the bad times. A friend shows up during your birthday parties and when you end up in the ER. A friend gets you a gift for Christmas and also flowers when one of your extended family members, a loved one, passes away. They laugh with you and they cry with you. That's what a friendship uh, looks like. And all that requires something that we seem to not have a lot of, time. It all requires time. Deep fellowship or friendship will not happen unless you spend time together and a lot of time together. I remember seeing uh, some research that suggests that it takes 40 to 60 hours just to make a casual friend, an 80 to 100 hours to even begin to have something called a deep or meaningful friendship. Think about that, 100 hours. That's like at least a couple years if you're only doing an hour of investment with a friendship. At least a couple years for that friendship to go deep. Let's continue on with Proverbs. Proverbs 26. Many claim to have unfailing love, but a faithful person... Who can find? This passage is critiquing someone who is all talk with no action. A faithful person here is a way of describing friendship. A faithful here is related to the other phrase in the first half of the proverb. Unfailing love. This is a word that is a covenantal love in the scriptures. A a love that's, that's, that's made out of commitment and making promises to one another. And this is why often God's love for his people is described this way as unfailing love, his covenantal love for his people. And related to uh, human beings and friendship, this is a person who loves a friend by making a commitment to that friend, but then backs it up, doesn't just say it with words, I'm committed to you through thick and thin, but actually shows up and puts in the time that it requires to do that. Now, we don't have a lot of like, formal ways to show such a commitment uh, to one another through friendship like we do maybe in a ceremony like, uh, like uh, a marriage between a husband and a wife. We don't have like, a ritual like that for friends uh, in our modern world. But I think that idea of committing yourselves to rituals to foster friendship is actually a key component if you're struggling with finding friendship. Creating friendship and practicing fellowship is difficult if you always are trying to rely on spontaneous events to pull it off. Like Even just think about like when you're trying to even schedule an event, right? Nathan Bargatsky is getting at this a little bit, but have you ever had the experience that you are finally getting together with some people that you wanted to get together with and you schedule it three months out? And even that was like, it was like we're scheduling a week out, and then it had to go two weeks, and then it had to go a to month. And finally, you went three months out, and you finally got a Saturday when you're free. You actually have time. And then, as, and then it gets closer. You're the week of, of finally being able to hang out with this person, and then you get the text, I have COVID, right? And then you're just so exhausted about rescheduling it, you just let it fall. Like, whatever, whatever. This is not, not going to happen. There's a better way of fostering uh, friendship if you can't just rely on spontaneous things to get connected, and sometimes it's hard to schedule things, what you need is ritual. You need routine. You need things that you're committed to in your life, whether you feel like it or not, where you're showing up with with deep relationships in the same space, and you, you just commit to those rhythms. That's why participating in the normal rhythms of church life is extremely helpful. If you participate on a Sunday gathering, regularly on Sunday gatherings, you attend a group, a community, you're serving on a ministry team, and you're, you're committed to that whether you feel like it or not, eventually that time adds up when you're rubbing shoulders with those people to go into a meaningful friendship. But even think about outside of what the church provides. You can have rituals and commitments in your own life. Having a default evening where your front porch is open or in the winter the fireplace is on and anybody that's in your connected group can come over and hang out. It's not a one-off evening commitment, but this is a default that happens in your week and in your months, regular dinner parties, card clubs, hikes, playing basketball during lunch, whatever it is that you are constantly showing up to these things in a committed way because that's what it takes to foster friendship. Now one of the things I want to touch here in my last part of the sermon before I conclude is when I've talked about friendship before and friendship in the, in the church as a meaningful and important part of the Christian faith, sometimes I might hear a little bit of pushback that says something like, this is a great talk, pastor. Friendship is a nice option, but I'm a serious Christian that thinks about serious things, where's the gospel in all this? Where's the meat of the gospel? Just, it just sounds like we're just drinking the liquid form of theology. Where's the depth? Because the church is more than a social place for connection and friendships. This is a place where the gospels preached and spirituality is experienced in a deep and meaningful way. But if you want more gospel depth in your faith, I would contend you cannot do that without friendship. Friendship is not, and a theology of friendship, is not swimming in the shallow end of Christian theology, but rather it's in the deep end because that's precisely where Jesus places friendship in the scriptures. So let's look at that by looking at John chapter 15 together and how Jesus is restoring our friendships just as he is healing broken bodies. John 15, 12 through 15, my command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. Christ, in his love, chooses imperfect disciples to follow him, and he calls them more than his disciples. He says, you are my friends. Jesus is described as a lot of different things in the scriptures. Jesus is Lord. He's our king. He's our judge. He's our savior. And he's all of those things. He has authority over us. He's sovereign over all things. He will judge the living and the dead. And he rescued uh, powerless and helpless sinners like us. He is all of that, yet he calls us, his followers, friends. And why are we his friends? Because look at the nature of how Christ loves his people. There's three different things that are highlighted in these these verses. One, he chooses them. And makes a commitment to them. Jesus initiated this friendship. He didn't wait around for us to do something and for, waited for us to love him. He loved us first. He called us to follow him first. Even if you weren't thinking about it, it wasn't on your radar. You love Jesus because he first loved you. He initiated this friendship. And Jesus is all in. This is probably one of the biggest contrasts with earthly friendships because our earthly relationships are often disrupted because of sin or because people move away or even because of disease and death. Friendships in this world are often unstable, but Jesus chooses us and not only chooses us, makes a commitment to us And he doesn't ever sin against us. He doesn't ever bail on us. He doesn't ever move away. So if you're one of these people here today that one of the reasons friendship is so hard is because you've experienced all those things. Part of the good news of the scripture is if you have a friendship with Christ, you have a friendship that will never break, that will never give up, that will always be consistent, always there, no matter what your earthly friendships will do. It's the most consistent factor and friendship in your life that can never be taken away ever, 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 ever. Amen, church? And we all need a friend like that, and Jesus provides that. Number two, Jesus says he shows his friendship, and friendship entails sacrifice. He lays down his life for his friends. Forgiveness and grace are essential parts of friendship. Jesus never wrongs his friends, yet he still suffers and dies for them in order to reconcile that relationship with sinners, Just think about this. Friendship requires sacrifice. If a friend of yours breaks your stuff and you forgive them, who eats the cost? You do. Because you're not requiring that person to reimburse you. You're like, it's cool, I forgive you. Don't worry about it. And you eat the cost. And that's what Jesus did on the, on the cross for his friends. He forgave us, but that came at the cost of his own life so that we could be reconciled to him forever. So, too, in friendship, we need to have sacrifice in order for friendship and forgiveness to be a component of friendship. Not only are you sacrificing for others, but receiving that from your friends as well. Third and finally, Jesus shows this friendship in that he shares everything he learns from God the Father with them. This might be like a strange point, uh, because uh, because it's just like, well, how does this have to do with my friendship with God? But think about your experience in true friendship. Or maybe think about uh, a negative way you've experienced this. Maybe you have a coworker, and you feel like that relationship is moving towards friendship. Uh, and, but you're kind of hoping to move from, like, talking shop about your career to now starting something deeper. But then that person doesn't go there with you, doesn't disclose some of the struggles of their life, doesn't open up. Well, if that doesn't happen, then that person really isn't a true friend because a true friend shares struggles, shares experiences, shares the pain with other people and lets them into that area of life. And it hurts when somebody that you think is a friend is experiencing significant things or making significant decisions, and they don't let you in on that. But one thing that Christ does to show his friendship to us is that everything that is disclosed to him through God the Father, he Communicates to us. He lets us into that knowledge, lets us into his life, and that is also a deep component of friendship. And so that is the good news of the gospel. Jesus calls and forgives sinners so that we can be friends with the Lord of heaven and earth. Let me conclude with trying to tease this out with one more illustration. As I've said in the beginning, if we see a church in a neighborhood that had has food insecurity. And we have a gospel partner like this. Faith City Church is a church that leans into this ministry in, on, the, on the north end of St. Paul in a neighborhood that has a lot of food insecurity. And they also have a grocery store that they run, storehouse grocery, uh, to, to make food more available. They're providing an essential need to that neighborhood because there's food insecurity, so the church rises up to provide what humans need as their basic needs. How do we connect that to the reality of this friendship famine? Because we have to see it in a similar light. If there truly is a friendship famine, how weird would it be for a church not to provide meaningful connections in that space? Just like it would be weird to be doing ministry in a neighborhood with food insecurity and not provide for that human basic need, we are living in neighborhoods throughout our city and throughout our world that have a deep uh, friendship famine that the church can provide relief for. I mean, think about it this way, right? I think we have a category for like, if you go to a church and it's too social and it's not deep enough into their connection to the gospel, well, that's a superficial church. But so is the reverse. So is the reverse. If you go to a church and that their worship services are lit, they have Bible studies, they fast and they pray, they do all these intense spiritual activities, But then you get involved and you're like, these brothers and sisters don't ever hang out. They don't ever laugh together. They don't break bread together. They never go on trips or vacations together. If you find a church like that, don't get plugged into that church because they actually don't like each other. They like religion, but not each other. And that's what we need now in the church more than anything. If you want a missional, outreach, justice-focused church right now, one of the things that a church has to provide is friendship because of the friendship famine and how many people are isolated. And Jesus says it this way, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. By this everyone will know that you are disciples, if you have deep and meaningful friendship in the church and then people who don't belong see that and say, I need that. Blessed are those who have many friends.